Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free ebooks, visit assuranceofpardon.com slash logos. Now on with the show. Welcome to Assurance of Pardon, a podcast about the gospel, the Bible, the church, what it all means and why it all matters. I'm Scott Davis, pastor of Hope Presbyterian Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And I'm Gage Jordan, assistant pastor of Youth and Families at First Presbyterian Dyersburg in Dyersburg, Tennessee. Gage, good to be back with you and with our listeners here as we're continuing our study of Jesus in the Old Testament, which is, by the way, made much easier because of Logos Bible Software, our our one and only sponsor. Uh, it makes it, whether you're studying um, the book of Nehemiah, which we're going to be in today, or, or uh, any of the 66 books of the Bible, it is very easy to look at multiple translations, Greek and Hebrew, all of your commentaries, all in one window. And uh, we cannot recommend highly enough um, Logos Bible Software. It's a game changer for your Bible study. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're excited to be here. You know, Scott, I've only got a couple more weeks of, of saying things like assistant pastor of youth and families. Uh, yeah. October, October one, this is today is September 6th and October one, I'll be able to say senior pastor, of first Presbyterian Dyersburg in Dyersburg, Tennessee. So that's kind of exciting. Super exciting. And I'm looking forward to coming up there for your installation service. Well, uh, Gage, speaking uh, of of you and your impressive uh, resume, uh, you have been carrying the, the water and running point on much of this seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. And I'm excited because today we are in the book of Nehemiah. And if if any of our listeners are coming from a mega church, non, non-denom, kind of uh, modern church. Nehemiah is an Old Testament book that, that gets uh, cracked open and used as a book about how to make a plan, a book mm-hmm. about goal setting, a book about fulfilling your dreams, a book about getting stuff done. Uh, it's a roadmap that God gives us that tells us how to get stuff done. Is that what we're going to learn today, Gage? How to really get stuff done? How God's going to help me take my life to the next level? What, whatever that means. <laughs> yeah. Yes. How to how to ten x your life for Jesus? Um, yeah. Yeah. No. Nehemiah is not the book for leadership principles. It's also what? not the book. Yeah. It's also not the book for. Um, when you got a big building project and you're trying to mm, oh cast, now come on cast a vision for that uh you know we're we're looking at possibly remodeling our sanctuary our pews are about 30 years old and it's it, they're starting to kind of fall apart and it's it's time to do that things i'm not going to do is use the book of Nehemiah to justify uh, raising a bunch of funds to to rebuild the sanctuary uh even if we do preach through Nehemiah in the next year or so uh it'll be because of, of the content that we're going to talk about today not because you know we want to you know good to great your your spiritual life um or you know any any of those other other leadership 
principles that we we tend to do. You know, we, we don't want to John Maxwell um, your your life here. Um, even though John Maxwell has some great leadership principles, um, even though 10X is a great book and good to great is great for leadership. I was in business for a long, long time. That's not what the, Nehemiah is about. And that, that's actually a really, really good thing. So as, as we dig in today, just a couple of reminders, um, if you weren't uh, with us last time, um, Ezra and Nehemiah in the Hebrew Bible, just like Chronicles, just like Samuel, just like Kings, Ezra and Nehemiah are one book. And the reason why is there's actually a lot of overlap chronologically and thematically between Chronicles and Nehemiah Ezra, because Nehemiah Ezra are, are talking about what happened after the return from Babylonian exile, after the Babylonian exile, and they were coming back to the to uh, the promised land, back to Israel, back to, to trying to restore things. Um, this was actually initially one book. Ezra, of course, you remember from last episode, uh, Ezra focused on rebuilding the temple and trying to establish the place of worship in Jerusalem. Um, well, Nehemiah is going to focus on rebuilding the city because the temple is going to reside in Jerusalem. So every time that you we get when we get to the Psalms, every time it talks about your holy temple, it talks about Zion, it talks about uh, ascending to the hill. All of those things are talking about Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah here is focusing on rebuilding this city. So it starts off in chapter one. Uh, Nehemiah hears what's going on. He's actually a cupbearer for the king. So he's the guy that's in charge of making sure the, the poison doesn't come through um, and, and kill the king. And so he's a cupbearer and um, he hears what's going on kind of from the grapevine of how the city has been in ruins and it's destroyed and he loves his city. So it, it cuts him to the quick. It uh, causes him to to fast and tear his clothes and cover himself in, in sackcloth and ashes and mourn. And eventually the king kind of notices, um, you know, hey, brother, you look like you don't have it together here. What, what What's going on? And Nehemiah, you know, essentially starts the chapter by praying to God first. Hey, Lord. And, and it's it's not even like, Lord, I want you to do a bunch of things. Right. Eugene, Eugene Peterson. Uh, in his book, Contemplating Pastor, talks about how oftentimes as Christians, we want to cast this big idea, right? And then invite the Lord to be a part of it, uh, as opposed to paying attention what the Lord's doing in your city and then going and doing that thing. Here, Nehemiah starts his prayer in chapter one as a prayer confession. Hey, we have messed up. You told us and you told us and you told us and we didn't listen. And he told us if we continue to break your commandments that so we would be taken off uh, of the promised land and taken away. And that's exactly what happened. And even my house doesn't have it together. Even my, even me and my my dad and my family, we're we're just sinners just like everybody else. And it, it, it points to that corporate confession, Scott, that you and I do every week in the liturgy. Every week we corporately confess our sins and we're not not doing it standing up there as ministers of the gospel going now you filthy sinners confess to Jesus no we're you and I are praying the prayer just as much as everybody else is Amen. lord you know we we've done the things we ought not to have done and we left undone those things which we should have done you know there's no health in us right and so Nehemiah does the same thing here in his uh prayer 
Um, and then after after kind of going through uh, the prayer, um, he he gets to work. And so uh, we see shadows of Christ in the person of Nehemiah. And here, here's what I mean. Just as Nehemiah hears about the destruction of his city and what's going on with his people and goes and does something about it, Christ saw the brokenness. The Father, the Spirit, the Trinity saw the brokenness of their people. And just like in the the, the Exodus language, they saw the pain of their people and came down, right? Jesus saw the brokenness of the world and came and did something about it to rescue his people, right? Very the very beginning of Matthew chapter one, it says, The angel tells Joseph, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Here you see a see a foreshadowing of that in the the work of Nehemiah, that that he um sees the brokenness and does something about it. It reminds me of um the writer of Hebrews in chapter eleven, verse ten, talking about Abraham, it says for he was looking for forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. You see this theme all throughout the scriptures, um, this theme of um, a, a, an establishment of a city, right? Remember la- last time in our episode, we referenced the, the many different resources from G.K. Bill about this idea of temple. You've heard Chad Bird talk about the language of Exodus be all throughout uh, the scriptures. There's also this thematic concept of a building of a city that ultimately, just like in the same way that that Eden was a type of temple where the presence of God dwells, uh, we are looking forward to one day a perfect city coming down from heaven in which the people of God will dwell with God. And, and it will be the new Jerusalem. And so here you see foreshadows of what's happening here, that the people of God are being sent to rebuild this city so that they can go and gather with God. And so uh, Nehemiah is a perfect example here of what we hope for when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, because Oftentimes, uh, we don't think about it this way, but sometimes when you're praying for God to do something, Lord, will you, you know, will you help the orphans in my town? Will you uh, help us to share the gospel? Will you help grow this student ministry? Will you help raise up missionaries? On occasion, we should entertain the idea that we are the answer to the prayers that we're asking for. Amen. That 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 actually we are are the thing that's going to bring about um, what we're hoping for. Um, you know, Andy Minio, uh, who's a Christian rapper, uh, has a song about that his his dad not being around, and he kind of alludes to this idea that maybe maybe I'm the thing that I've been hoping and seeking and praying for. Maybe 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 I'm actually um, going to be able to be the thing that I didn't get to have. I'm going to actually be, be able to be the pre the, the fatherly presence in someone's life um, that I didn't have in my own. And, and that's the same thing that Nehemiah does here. He doesn't just pray. Okay, Lord, we screwed up. Things are broken. Woe is me. No, he then gets up. He goes into, uh, goes to the city and he surveys 
and he and he builds a strategy, right? He actually um, goes and makes a plan, and that, and that's really really important because um, oftentimes uh, in charismatic circles, especially there there will be um, these ministers who will have gotten a vision from the Lord, right? And, uh, you know, we're going to, our vision is we're going to buy this building or we're going to, we're going to build this building or we're make this huge investment or we're going to whatever, whatever. And you'll look and go, Hey, well, do you have the, do you have the, the funds for that? Well, no, brother, we don't have the funds. We're just going to trust the Lord on that. Well, do you have the capability of doing that? Do you have the capital? Do you have the collateral for a bank loan? Do you have, you know, the process it's going to take to actually do that? No, 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 no. We're just going to trust the Lord. We're just going to be led by the Spirit. And sometimes some of them even preach this way. That's not at all what the Scripture tells you to do. Jesus actually tells a parable where he says, no king goes into a battle without first assessing the cost. Okay, I've got 10,000 soldiers. He's got 20,000 soldiers. It's a two-to-one ratio. I'm going to lose this, this battle. Or no guy goes and builds a house that if he doesn't make have the money, he doesn't have the plans, he doesn't have the tools, if he builds half, half a house, he's going to look like a fool. You see the same principle here uh, that Jesus is talking about in the life of Nehemiah. He goes, he makes a strategy, he makes a plan, he assesses the, the situation, and then he acts, right? Ne- Nehemiah, is doing the exact same thing that Isaiah is going to talk about when it talks about um, God calls us as his people to be repairers of the breach, to, to restore the streets, to care for the, for the widow and the orphan and the, and the fatherless um, and, and repair the broken uh, streets to dwell in here this is exactly what Nehemiah is going and doing. He's going and, and repairing a city. And, 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 and it ultimately leads to when you t- look at that, uh, that language in Isaiah, when you look at what Nehemiah is doing, it, it calls us as God's people and as the church to be people who stand in the gap. That's what repair of the breach means, right? We're, we're people that, that are gap standards. Uh, does that mean we got to answer every social justice cause? No, but I think we've, we beat, beat that that horse to death in multiple episodes to drive the point home. But it does call us in a real sense in, in the place in which God has placed us that part of the way that we display the evidence of the gospel in our lives is to be people who stand in the gap for others. And, and why do we do that? We do that because Jesus did that, right? First John chapter two, uh, we have an advocate in Jesus Christ, the righteous. What's an advocate? It's somebody that speaks on behalf of another person sure. for their well-being. And they, a, they a mediator. Yeah, That's mediator. right. They, they advocate for them. Jesus did that in being a mediator for us between God the Father and us. Um, and so uh, Nehemiah is a, a healthy example of what it actually looks like to engage um, in the in the even engage in the politics of his day, right? There, there was a you know some pushback uh, that we've received when we've done these these politics in the pulpit or politics on social me- media uh, episodes, and some of the pushback is, "Oh, you you guys think we should shouldn't shouldn't be involved at all? We shouldn't say anything at all?" And that's not at all what we've said or what we mean if that's how it was heard. But what we we do mean is there's a healthy way to engage in the politics uh, and, and the involvement of your city. And there's an unhealthy way where a good thing becomes an, ult- an ultimate thing to use Tim, Tim Keller language um, here. Nehemiah um, 
is just evidence of the providence of God. He providentially is a cupbearer in the king's palace. So he has ear of Artaxerxes. And so he has the opportunity providentially in the place that, that he's at to be able to engage with the guy, the guy, the person of power to get the thing done that he's trying to get done. That That's to rebuild a city. So I would say that's a perfect example of how we uh, as Christians should engage in the marketplace, right? We pay attention to where God has placed us, pay attention to providentially um, where we are, and then speak speak truth of power. I have the, the, the benefit every single week of going to Rotary with mayors. And uh, there's a Dyer County mayor and there's a uh, Dyersburg mayor. I, I have the opportunity over lunch to sit down with leaders in the city and ask questions and to give ideas and get to give feedback. That's God's providence in place to be exactly where, where I am. And Nehemiah is a good example of that. So as, as we get into the book, you see kind of a breakdown here. First, as we mentioned before, chapter two, he's going to gather his information. He's going to build a strategy. And then uh, chapter three through seven, is God's people at work. Um, And as you see God's people at work, um, it's a perfect evidence of what it looks like um, to be the church, right? We oftentimes think we've got to have all these programs. We've got to do all these things. We've got to be at all these rallies. We've got to be involved in all this stuff because if we're not doing all the things, then somehow we're, we're not involved in the city. But really, they weren't doing anything other than just being busy, right? right? The, the Apostle Paul said it this way, that you should... Uh, live a quiet life and tend to your own business. He, he said that in Thessalonians. He, again, in Ephesians, he tells you um, that, that, that let the thief no longer steal, but that he should work, right? Like we are a people that should be busy and we should be busy providentially at work. Uh, so so chapters three through seven give you that perfect example of these lists of people that are at work in, in, in all different avenues, all different situations, uh, taking care of different aspects based off of the skill sets and the tools and, and the, the opportunities that they have to rebuild the walls of the city. And that, that's a really, really good thing. Yeah. And one of the things you see in, in three through seven is that they are working and at the same time, they're facing difficulties. They're facing right. frustrations. And one of the, one of the unfortunate things we run into in, in our day and age is people think that if I'm at the center of God's will, if I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do, it's just going to be smooth sailing all the way through. I'm not going to face difficulties at all. And that wasn't the case. That clearly is not the case uh, with this wall being being rebuilt. Uh, they are doing what God wants them to do. They're doing a good God honoring thing. And also it's hard. I mean, think about the ministry of Jesus from the very beginning. He spends his entire ministry being followed around by these guys that constantly have something to say, right? You know, you, um, you're violating the Sabbath by doing the things you're doing. You, um, are doing the, the miracles you're doing by the power of Satan. You, um, are, are doing all, all the, I mean, they just always have some sort of like little, you know, your, your disciples don't wash their hands enough. And that's a problem, you know, and all, all of these things that they constantly bicker about. If that happened to Jesus, how much more when you're trying to live a quiet life, tend to your own business, do work, 
which incidentally you were created to do. You were created to subdue the earth and be fruitful and multiply. Work is actually creation ordinance. It's not a result of the fall. So if you hate your job, it's not because that's just an effect, effect of the fall. That may be because you're in a bad working environment. But work in and of itself is not bad. But it's it's funny that as they're trying to kind of move things forward, just like with Ezra, when the, when they show up to try to do do worship and the the guys that have kind of gathered in uh, pagan rituals show up and like oh we've been here the whole time and we've got all these d- fancy different ways and 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 new new and innovative ideas on how we can do uh, worship in the temple and he's like no nope, I'm good thanks <laughs> no no thank you um, here Nehemiah deals with the same thing. Nehemiah, would you come down off the ladder? We want to discuss with you whether or not it's appropriate for you to be able to build this wall. And he's like, ah, the work's too great. I don't have time. That that actually is the heart behind some of the reasons why we encouraged people a couple episodes ago to maybe reconsider dialogue on social media for your engagement. Because sometimes if you're spending all your time arguing with people on Facebook, it's because you don't have enough to do. Go do some work. Um, yeah, and actually contribute to something. Um, and then if you have free time and you want to dialogue with people, by all means do that. Um, but here, Nehemiah faces the same thing. They're, they're trying to do the work and they're facing opposition. And I think that's really, really important for us, uh, Scott, because I've given a lot of thought to this lately. Um, we are, and, and several people have written things about this, so this isn't going to be a new idea, but we are in a time that's a, a post-Christian context that up to this point, we've, we experienced Christendom, right? We, we experienced in America, this idea where Christianity for about 150 years shared a lion lion's share of the marketplace of ideas. Evangelicals were a huge voting block. They still are at some level. We uh, were well thought of two, two generations ago, uh, Everybody you knew went to church in the South. Everybody you knew said they were a Christian. Uh, Everybody went to church camp. Everybody was in a youth group. Everybody did the things, right? And then even my generation, one generation removed, the millennials, you still had that to a fair amount. You had a little more pushback, uh, but not to the degree that we're, we're experiencing now. But now we live in a context and, and a culture where, I kid you not, Scott, I interact with people all day long that have never opened a Bible. Sure, they, absolutely. They have no, they have no context uh, for, for bi- biblical language, biblical ideas. They can't find books of the Bible. They've never opened a Bible uh, at all, um, let, a, let alone spent, spent any time in church. And, and for a lot of us in this culture, the way we're going to need to engage, Nehemiah is a great example of that. Uh, because they don't isolate themselves from the situation. They they work and do what they can to rebuild the city, even amidst the opposition. And, and the reality is um, we are going to be facing, in the, even now and in, in the next, I would say, foreseeable future, um, times where the ideas, the concepts, the beliefs, the, the values – uh, of, of what it means to be a Christian is going to be met with opposition, just like these people met, were, were met with opposition. 
not because they're trying to be belligerent, not because they're trying to be intentionally oppositional, but because simply we're working and doing things which the Lord has called us to do. And so I think that that's the majority of what you see here uh, in chapter three through chapter seven. And then you get into the the last two sections. The last last uh, next to last section really kind of covers eight to twelve, and then chapter thirteen is kind of its own thing that we'll get into. But in chapter chapters eight through twelve, um, you see this call of the consecration of the people of God, right? That that they're purifying themselves, that that they're they're setting themselves apart. Um, and that goes kind of back into what we were talking about of, with the idea of us being other and being okay with it in, right. in the context that we find ourselves, because um, you're going to see a lot of, of language in, in Nehemiah in eight through 12 about people being set apart, about making yourself different, about cleansing yourself Um not so you can just isolate yourself from the world and hide behind a stained glass, but because at the same time to be Christian and to be a part of the people of God means you're going to do things differently than other people. You're going to process things differently than other people. You're going to think differently. You're going to talk differently. You're going to act differently. And and so you, you see that because up to this point, there had been a lot of the opposite. Nehemiah kind of inherits uh, the the mess that that Ezra talks about. There there were there were intermarriages with people that didn't believe in God and didn't honor Yahweh. There was was uh, working on the Sabbath. They were just kind of dismissing the values and cons concepts of what God is called down. And it's really really important here to see this is exactly what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount when he calls you to be a city on a hill. Essentially, the language of city on a hill is Jerusalem language. Right. It, yeah, he's telling you, hey, be the new Jerusalem. Be this new city and these new people whose citizenship is in heaven, who exists in, in the kingdom of man, who lives out in the world, but acts as a light in the midst of darkness. Um, and that, that's really important because we're in a context now to where um, to, to say we don't agree with something is violence against someone. That's right. Right. And, and if I question your thought process on something, I must hate you. Um, And so here you see the glimpses of what Jesus is, is doing in, uh, in sending out the disciples to take the gospel to all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you, he's telling them to do the same thing that Nehemiah is telling the people here in 8 through 12. Consecrate yourself, set yourself apart, but the way in which the city grows and the way in which the city is built and the kingdom uh, of God advances um, is through the way you live the gospel out amongst your neighbors, the way it in which you exist as a city on a hill and a light in the midst of darkness. Um, and so it's really, really important here that we do that. That doesn't mean we we isolate ourselves. It doesn't mean that we got to separate ourselves and never hang out with not non-believers. Uh, you know, we, we were told that growing up. I was told that in youth group all the time, right? That the thing I got to do is make sure and only hang out with Christian friends and never hang out with lost people. Well, if none of us ever hang out with lost people, 
how do people become Christians? Yeah. Yeah. The, the problem, the problem with the sort of Mennonite um, and Amish, uh, many of one of the problems uh, approach to culture is, is they're neither in the world nor of it. Mm-hmm. Right. That they are, they're unstained by the world, but they don't have any, they don't have any, any interaction with the world. That's right. Uh, and so we're called to be in the world, but not of it. And, and uh, that, that is a harder uh, needle to thread. Yeah. And, and it, it also means not being unnecessarily combative, you know, their hindsight being 2020 there, there are brothers. I know that, that now we're doing the, you know, um, kind of doing the easy dunk of, Hey, look, you, you guys should have, should have stood up to the government. Um, now that we know that regulations have changed with COVID and this, that, and the other, and you should have taken a different stance and, and, and shame on you for, for, uh, just complying and yada, yada, yada. And that's, you know, whatever, you know, we, we made the best decision we could with the information we had at the time. However, I see brothers all the time on social media bearing the name of Christ and being unnecessarily combative. If the only thing that I ever know or hear from you as a minister of the gospel on social media is how bad the other guy is, and I never hear pastoral wisdom or insight or explanation of theology, that's unnecessarily combative. Amen. Right. There, there are going to be times like Nehemiah does here and, and why, how he leads the, the people of God that you're going to have to put your foot down and say, no, those times are going to come. And, and I, honestly, they're probably going to become more frequent for the people of God in the, in the days ahead, depending on who's in office and the, and the politics and, and the laws that come down. However, there is a, a like you said, there's a, a needle that has to be thread on standing up for what God is calling you to do and just being an absolute jerk and being unnecessarily combative and being divisive and wanting to cause division and fights and attack blogs and conferences and, and the like and tell you how bad the other guy is. Um, and, and that's not at all what we're being called called to here, but here you see glimpses even uh, in Nehemiah's charge to the very kingdom ethics that we saw in the Sermon on the Mount given to us by our, our Lord and Savior, uh, which gets us to chapter 13. And chapter 13 has an interesting beginning that if you are unfamiliar with the Old Testament, um, is going to sound really strange, right? And so it says, on that day, they read from the book of Moses. So this is the first five books of the Bible. They're reading the law and in hearing, uh, in the hearing of the people. And in it, it was found that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God, for they did not meet the people of, uh, of Israel with bread and water, but they hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated. Uh, from Israel, all those of foreign descent. Now, if you don't have an Old Testament background uh, and you're not very familiar, you could very easily read that passage and think, wow, the scripture's kind of racist, right? <laughs> like, that's kind of like, in, if you're a foreigner, you're not welcome in in the temple. Like, how does that work? But, and it gives you the hints along the way to go back 
to the first five books, the, the, the book of Moses, which is the first five books of the Bible, to go back and figure out the story in Numbers about Balaam and his donkey, which is a crazy great story. Yes. Um, you know, L- Luther famously used to say, you know, if, if God could speak speak through a donkey, he can, sp- he can speak through me, right? He said it in a little more Lutheran, vulgar way. <laughs> but uh, I don't want to have to uh, check the box for explicit content in this podcast. So you, you can Google it and look it up yourself. But um, at the same time, if you go back and look at that, what you actually find is the Moabites... Um, every time that they interacted with Israel, they're pulling them away from, from God. Every time that the Israelites ever interacted with Am- Ammonites on any any level, it always led to the Israelites falling away from God. And so even the intermarriaging uh, issue that we see, uh, as we mentioned in the Ezra podcast, I'll mention again in case you didn't didn't get to listen to that episode, isn't about racial issues. It's not. Um, it's actually um, about those that follow God and those that don't. Christians marrying non-Christians. So the reason that Nehemiah is causing them to push out the foreigner isn't because, you know, he wants to build a wall and he wants Moab to pay for it, right? It's because <laughs> it's because um it's the idea of consecrating yourself away from people that don't share your theology, don't share your values, don't share um the spirit of God in you. Um, because ultimately, if you yoke yourself, if you marry and allow yourself to build a family of people where, you know, church, church, we could take it or leave it, depending on if we have, you know, something else going on. Or, I mean, yeah, I kind of read the Bible, but normally we just kind of listen to uh, Scott on the live stream and we're, we're fine or whatever the case may be. Slowly but surely, you're going to be shocked and, and surprised when your kids graduate high school and they don't care anything about Jesus. Mm. Uh, and the first time they get out of the house, they're not trying to find a church in the, in the, in the town that they've left. They're not trying to do any of those things because we've unequally yoked ourselves. Um, that's more of what's going on here and really not, not much to do with the racial issues. Now, one thing, if you are familiar with the Old Testament, that should at least make you go, wait a minute, there seems to be an inconsistency here, is Ruth. What did we learn about Ruth? Ruth was a Moabite, right? We we know that. Remember, remember every time that we went through the book of Ruth a couple episodes back, the writer of Ruth kept saying, Ruth the Moabite, the Moabite woman, the woman from Moab. Like, did we mention and, she's a Moabite? Yeah. Did, did By the way, she's a Moabite. Um, and, and the reason you see this here is notice what Ruth does. Ruth doesn't bring her pagan culture or pagan ideas and her pagan ideology, uh, into Naomi's life and, and force her to kind of deal, uh, with her morality, uh, because I mean, you need to be tolerant of everyone. Now, what does Ruth say? Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Who your God's going to be is going to be my God. I will be your people. She conforms into the covenant community, and she then puts her trust in Yahweh, 
that's what happens when you become a Christian. You don't you don't just come in and go, well, I mean, we can kind of coexist exist together. No, you conform to the image of Jesus. Gage, I'm really beginning to think that you don't think this book is about goal setting. <laughs> Not even a little bit, brother. There, there's some, I mean, there are probably some leadership strategies that can be assessed uh, in the same way. We talked about this before in the same way that when you read Jeremiah 29, 11, the truth that um, God knows the plans that he has for you and they are plans to prosper and give you a future and a hope that is that principle is true that's not not at, at all what's going on in jeremiah Correct. 29 11 <clears throat> please please see the previous episodes in unhelpful christianese uh i think it's season three where we we did that however there probably are some leadership principles to learn from nehemiah in this book Right. I mean, he builds a strategy. He plans. He leads people. Um, there's also times, though, and th- chapter 13 is one of them, Scott. It's my ultimate favorite where he, he slaps dudes. He pulls out their hair. He tells the merchants who are violating the Sabbath that if you come across this wall, I'm going to lay hands on you. It's my it, look. Our, I don't have a life verse, but if I did. I, if you come across this wall on the Sabbath and try to sell things to my people, I will lay hands on you would have to be it. Right. If I, if I ever get RC Sproul's famous to be able to sign Bibles and stuff, that's the life verse I'm putting on people's Bibles just to make them go read it. That, that that's not something I would advise that actually will probably get you uh, on the front of Christianity today for something really, really bad. Um, but yeah, th- it's about so much more. Yeah. And I think this, this tendency that we see in, uh, taking taking this narrative and ringing uh, taking out of it the the narrative of what's going on and the the meta narrative of scripture that that all of scripture's pointing to Jesus and just making it about about leadership or goal setting or getting things done uh, is treating the Bible like a ransom note right it's just exacto knifing out these things and creating uh, a message that, that the text is not intending to tell. And, and as a result, you're not making the Bible say more than it says. You're making it say less. That's right. That's right. So, so hopefully this was, was, was helpful. Um, there's Nehemiah. Isn't like some of the other books that we've seen. And that's actually, it can be a good thing where there are like one-to-one correlations. Ah, there's, there's the Jesus moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there are, are key examples, right? Um, as we close, I'll give you, give you one at the end of chapter 13, as he's threatening the, the merchants who are camp, who were camping outside the city and waiting until Sabbath so that they, they could, when Sabbath was over, jump right back over the wall and start selling their goods and services to people again, um, and, and Nehemiah has to push them off and threaten them. There's also this moment where Nehemiah has to go back to his job because remember he gets kind of paid leave to be able to go build uh, right. the the wall and build the city. He goes back to be the cupbearer for our, for Artaxerxes, and while he's gone, there's this guy named Eliashib, and he's a priest. And he positions this guy named Tobiah 
to build a chamber for himself in the middle of the temple. So where all the the grain offerings, the wine, the oil, all the the sacred things that were given as offering to worship God is in the temple. They move all of that out so Tobiah can kind of set up his throne and set up his his office in the middle of the temple. And so then all the offerings, all the things that were given even to the Levites and the musicians so that they would have food, because let's, let's be honest, unless someone feeds them, artistic people don't eat, right? Someone else has to feed them. How do you get, so, a, how do you get, so, a, how do you get a guitarist off your front porch? You pay him for the pizza. That's right. That's right. So in the, in the same way, um, Nehemiah comes back. He finds out what's going on. And it says he literally just starts chunking furniture out of the temple. He takes Tobias stuff. He puts it to the curb. He brings the things back in. He makes sure the Levites, the musicians and the singers are fed. He's putting things back in order. And he, and there's these little sentences that say, Lord, please. Essentially what he's saying is don't let the stupidity of these other people Mm -hmm. negate all the good that I'm trying to do here. Amen. And that is a complete foreshadowing of what we see Jesus do with the temple that he rolls in and he sees that they've turned the house of prayer into a den of thieves, that the merchants are at the door on the That's Sabbath, right. making money and oppressing the people hand over fist through uh, uh, basically overpriced ga- gouging and temple currency exchange and extortion and all of these things. And what does Jesus do? He flips over tables and right. chairs and bring, put, builds a whip and starts tearing people up. And we love that passage when it comes to like, you know, whatever social justice platform we want Jesus to co-sign for us. But it's about worship. And it's Amen. about the Sabbath and it's about the sacredness of what Sunday is all about. And so you see a one-to-one correlation here in the book of Nehemiah as he closes up um, in being a, a guy that cares about the city, uh, cares about God's presence among his people, cares about uh building the city for God, and also ultimately has just as much passion about worship as Ezra does. And that's how the book ends. Amen. Gage, thank you for your labors and walking us through that. We hope folks this, we hope this has been helpful as we can see that Jesus is the truer and better Nehemiah who did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and, uh, and went and, and did something on behalf of his people. Uh, and so we hope this has been helpful. If you have any questions, please reach out to us. Also, like, rate, and subscribe our podcast and, and the social media uh, on uh, whatever podcast client you use. And um, we will see you uh, on our next episode as we tackle the book of Esther. And until next time, this is Assurance of Pardon. God bless.